Hi, and welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast. I am your host and the founder of Brave Parenting, Kelly Newcomb. And this is where you'll get the encouragement, insight, and information you need to raise kids of character and our culture saturated with media and technology. You know, we call it Brave Parenting because it takes a lot of courage and hard work to not only keep on top of changing technology, but then to know how to incorporate that into our families' lives. Our ultimate goal here is to keep you educated and equipped to raise your tech-savvy kids. Welcome to today's show. Today, we're going to be talking about teens and money. It's summertime, so chances are your teens, my teens, they're all trying to get out there and work and earn some money, whether that be through mowing lawns or babysitting, or maybe they're even employed at a local fast food restaurant or store. The question then becomes, how do we, as our parents, best lead them to wise spending and saving. You know, the ease of online spending, whether they be buying tangible or even virtual products, and the introduction of money sharing apps has introduced new challenges for us as parents of teens. Well, our guest today is going to shed some light on these questions with his wisdom and expertise in financial advising. Chris Van Stavern has been in the financial advising industry for over 15 years. For the last five years, he's been in the management role where he has recruited, coached, and managed financial advisors. Last year, Chris wanted to get back into client-facing and financial advising role full-time, so he decided to go into business with one of his advisors from his regions in Hondo, Texas. The practice is called Springs Wealth Group, and it is a financial advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services Incorporated. Chris says, I am proud to be associated with a firm known for its service and how it relates to clients because serving your interests is my priority. I offer comprehensive financial advice and a broad range of solutions to help you and your loved ones live brilliantly now and in the future. Chris is married to his beautiful wife, Angela, and has two kids, Kajer, who is 15, and Carly, who is 12. So he's definitely right in those teenage years. The kids are very active in sports, school, and church activities, and both Chris and Angela love being a part of their activities. Chris, thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm so glad that we were able to connect and talk about this. This is a big topic, um, one that maybe doesn't get talked about a lot. It seems like the saturation of, of other medias sort of take precedence, but this is an important area of our kids' lives that we as parents can really be shepherding them. So. Let's talk about this. So we know that research has shown the benefits of young people working in part-time jobs. There is character growth, such as building responsibility, communication skills, teamwork. But from a financial point of view, how does earning money for themselves develop our teens? And really, how important is it to learn this early as a teenager for their future money management success? Yeah, so first of all, you're, you're exactly right. It's exciting to be able to talk about this now, today. As you can probably imagine, with all the stuff that's going on in our world, this is, this is a different topic than I've been talking about to most of my clients. And so I was excited to, to get this invitation because it is very important. And I think we need to really focus on things that are important in our world right now and, and preparing our teams uh, for their future. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, the benefits of a teen having a job are numerous and, and really far outweigh any negatives, in my opinion. So the, the thing to, today, what I want to focus on are three key benefits that I think 
really help our teams learn the value of money, learn the value of saving money, and and really just learn the, the value of hard work. So number one is is learning the value of having to work for something instead of just being handed to you. And what that does is it turns our, our next generation into a generation of producers and not just consumers. Mm-hmm. Consuming and being selfish, obviously, come naturally. We don't have to teach our kids that, those skills. But being a producer and helping bring value to the community need to be taught. And the best way to, for them to, to learn that is through going out and getting a job. Secondly, learning how to take care of the money they, that is earned through opening bank accounts, savings. It teaches responsibility, teaches value of taking care of what they have. And then lastly, I would say it prepares our teams to learn how to interview for a job Mm -hmm. or to sell something that they're trying to sell. The earlier they start, you know, whether it be having a lawn service, going out and sell their lawn service or interviewing for a job at, like you mentioned, at a fast food restaurant or advertising for babysitting or whatever that is, the earlier they can start practicing for that, the more prepared they are in the future for when those interviews become a little bit bigger and a little more important and, can be the difference of making the kind of money they want to make and do the job they want to do versus, you know, having to go get a job they don't necessarily want. I and then lo- the last thing I would say on this, I'm, I'm sorry. The last thing I would say on this topic is uh, what I've seen and and most of the clients that I work with that have had a job since they were in their teens is they generally have more money saved for retirement. They have less debt. And since they started saving at a much earlier age, the power of compounding interest has really grown their account dramatically. Wow. So that says a lot. Those are some, that's a real proven, you know, way when you look back to working from teens and saving all of that. Yeah. The earlier you can retire, the more you have to enjoy your later life. That's right. Which is hard for them to keep that big picture. But I really do love, like you made an extremely good point. You know, we talk about when it comes to like video games or anything on the computer, really, of not just being a consumer. And that really goes to so many different aspects of life. It's easy to just sit back and let mom and dad take care of you and sort of building this entitlement. You know, the world's scary out there. And so a lot of parents are like, oh, I don't know if I want to let, you know, Johnny go out there and get a job. But really, it's teaching them a lot of long-term beneficial character strengths. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So we talked about savings a little bit. Let's let's dive into that a little bit. So some kids, I would say, are natural savers. They're sort of scared to spend their money. But then there's other teens who let their money flow out of their pockets like water. I know I personally have some of each of those kids. <laughs> a zero bank account means nothing. It doesn't freak them out or anything, although it freaks me out, right? So is it wise for parents to require their teens to save a certain amount of money out of every paycheck every month? I think it is. I mean, I, I think there, it's definitely wise to require some sort of savings. Absolutely. I know, like, so for my family, so I've got seven kids, and when each one turns 13, we take them to set up their own bank account. They get their student checking account, and then we require them to save $500 in this account before they can spend any money with their debit card. And we provide them ways that they can earn the money, whether it be through chores or different activities that they may be good at. We call this 500 like their emergency fund. And then they can use it, for example, if they 
break a neighbor's window or lose their football cleats and they have to buy another pair. That's what we deem an emergency. And then before they drive, they have to have a $1,000 emergency fund to cover their car insurance deductible should they get into an accident. So this is sort of our, what we have found to be our best practice. It's certainly not easy. The kids almost dread turning 13 because they don't want to save that $500. (laughs) Do you have any best practices that you would recommend? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I think yours is is great. If people wanted to follow that specific example, I think that you you really, there's nothing wrong with with that. And I'll just give a couple other examples of, of best practices that I've seen and that we've personally implemented ourselves. And really, the first most important thing with why I say I think it's wise to to make them or require them to save money is it's teaching our kids how to budget early Mm -hmm. and teaching them that budget is not a bad word. Yeah. And the the quicker they learn that, the better off they are in the future. And you're really just setting up your kids for for a better future when they know that living within their means is a good thing. So I have two methods that I have used and that I've advised people to use as far as helping their kids learn how to save. And the first one people have seen through other programs, I'm sure, getting out of debt, and that is just using envelopes of cash. Mm-hmm. Um, people have done that as adults to, to get out of budget. And I just tell people, listen, I would come up with, with four envelopes that your that your teens have to have and the first one is a tithing envelope. Mm-hmm. And when I say tithing, you know, obviously in my profession, I can't necessarily say you need to give this money to a certain type of entity, but tithing and giving money away to church or charity is a good thing. And it teaches unselfishness. Secondly, it would be a savings envelope. So after you tithe your 10%, then a savings envelope. And again, 10% is also good for that. You give away 10, you put 10% in savings. And the third one is your bills and responsibilities envelope, whatever they're required to pay for. If they have to pay for gas, cell phone, insurance, food, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. then that's what that bill is for. And then the last one is what I call the discretionary of the fund envelope. And if that money, if that envelope doesn't have any money in it, they don't get to go do whatever the fun thing they're wanting to do. So it's, it makes it a very simple, concrete, physical way for them to look. And if their friends want to go to the movies, they look in that envelope. Yes, I can go or no, I can't go. So it makes it very simple. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, brilliant. The second method is very similar. It's just using more you know, checking accounts and savings accounts. But you have the same system set up or the same budgeting set up. So you have, just like you did, take your kids down there. You, you set them up a, a checking account. I would also set them up a savings account. So that I would have them be two different accounts. Mm-hmm. And your checking account is for tithing and bills and discretion. And then you have a savings account that is literally your emergency fund. And then as we start talking further down, when we start getting into then preparing for college and what they can use that savings for, then we'll talk more about using that savings account. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's a brilliant. I love the the money envelope thing. I know that is a yeah, good way to get out of debt, but it's a great way to show our kids really tangibly how they can save and spend their money and and how that's good to to show that in a budget. So, okay, so now our teens are working. They're saving money. We got their 
envelopes or their debit, their credit, you know, all that set up their savings. And this is really great. But in our culture, we are in a spend, spend, spend sort of world right now. So with that discretionary, that fun portion of their money, this is a big question. Should we as parents allow our kids to spend that discretionary money truly however they choose? So for example, if they want to spend hundreds of dollars inside video games like Fortnite, should we let them? If they want to go to McDonald's every day or spend $500 on a Gucci belt or something like that's really in and really cool, you know, how much control should we exert in helping them learn responsible money management with that discretionary amount of money they have? This is a tough one. The first answer would be, I think to some extent, they should be able to spend it how they want with the caveat being as long as they've done all the other steps that we've talked about with the envelopes of the account or you know, whatever their budgeting approach is. And then the second caveat of that is I think this is where parents need to be good salespeople. And I say salespeople, meaning I try to sell my kids to do the right thing more than I try to tell them not to mm-hmm. do something. So make them feel like it's their idea. So then you know, we'll use your Fortnite example. That's one of the things that drives me insane is the <laughs> amount of money that, you know, we need a new skin or whatever the, the latest thing is. So I will try to talk them out of that saying, is that something that is a good use of your money? Are you going to be happy with that choice a month, two months, six months next year? Uh, if not, you know, then maybe you ought to save it and think about buying something else. And what I've seen with kids that set up responsibly this budgeting type, either see the envelope or the account system, is as they become more responsible with those steps, they usually become more responsible with the discretionary spending as well. Not always, mm. but they usually do because now that money actually means something to them. Yeah. I feel like I should like dive in a little personal story here. So we, <laughs> we did give them free reign of spending their discretionary money on for, you know, however they want it, right? And then we had quickly realized that so much of it went to Fortnite. Um, And it was a really like an out of control type of problem with my 16 year old, but he was working and it was his money and we had set up all of these things. But then we realized like, you know, $500 into this, wow, there is nothing to show for this. And we really kind of had to rein it back in and say, how can we help you? So I say that just to say, you know, it's important for parents. You really want to give them that freedom. You know, we had to start really checking that debit card account, which we can see, because Mm -hmm. that money spends so easy. They don't even realize it. You're not swiping a card. You're not getting receipts. And I I think that leads to other conversations, even outside the financial world and outside of my expertise. But you really start and talk to them about how items like that or activities like that could lead to addictions mm-hmm. and different areas of, you know, whether that be for gambling or other computer issues. Right. Um, you know, that that's where we need to talk to them about that too, that yeah, it is your money. And yeah, I mean, you do have that discretionary and you, you had it, you didn't spend money you didn't have, but when you're spending $500 on something like that, that can lead to other problems right. later on. Absolutely. Yeah. So another large trend other than Fortnite, right, um, that I know a lot of parents are talking about more and more are these money apps. So apps like Venmo, Cash App, 
you know, these apps make it extremely easy and for this generation, very fun because it's very social type of um, app to share and swap money. You know, although every one of these apps that I looked at when I have done reviews on them, whether on the podcast or on braveparenting.net, they all state in their terms of service that you must be 18 years old to have that um, account. But many teens are using these apps regularly. In fact, I personally have found that many adults expect my children to have them. Families who are wanting to pay my daughter for babysitting through Venmo or other parents' friends who want to cash app my teen money for gas for driving their child around. So let's talk about this. First, are there financial risks for our teens using these apps under 18 years old? Absolutely. I think there are risks. And it's this is one of those that I'm because of the relative newness of these, and when I say these apps and, and things like that, first, I'm not promoting or condemning any specific app or company, but I do think there are some dangers in general in using these apps. And, and one of the things that we have to kind of go off of our past history on is you, you kind of tie this into people buying stuff online for the past several years. And uh, now, now it's just easier with these, with these apps. And one of the things that, that we've seen is there are studies that actually show what happens in the brain of someone when they're paying for a fairly substantial purchase using cash versus that same person's brain's activity when swiping or using an app. And what happens in the synapses of the things that fire in your brain is those things fire like crazy when you're using cash. And then when they looked at the same brain activity during using either clicking or using some sort of uh, swipe and pay or an app or whatever, is there's absolutely next to nothing that goes on in those same synapses. And so my biggest concern is that these apps and these and the skis of, of generating money is, is it makes the money seem fake or almost like a game that could lead easily to overdrawn accounts or debt when they actually have to deposit a check into an account, then they're, the teen is reminded that I need to enter that transaction into my budget. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it, there's a, there's an actual activity of, I took this check, I put it in my account. Now I need to decipher where that needs to go versus, Money just came in through an app. Money just went out through an app. And I'm not not have ever even realized what just happened. Yeah, that's a very it's a very good point. And I love that research because I think that's well, we know that a lot of these apps, they're really they're so um, almost brain controlling, if you will. Um, I mean, I can say when you said that, I immediately thought of how easy it is for me to order Starbucks via the Starbucks Mm -hmm. app. Not that I do it that much, but every time I do it, I think oh, this is so easy. So I can definitely see how a teen dropping money through an app, you know, they just don't even think about it. Like it's not even like you said, it's a game. It's not even like they're really spending money. Mm -hmm. So, okay, age restriction, restriction aside, you know, could we allow it in a sort of controlled environment where we're sort of teaching them to use it? Because I know as soon as my daughter turned 18, she got one because that is the way that her friends sort of do life. They, someone pays and then you just cash app the other person. So can we as parents sort of come alongside them and teach them how can we best do that? And what kind of positive, negative and neutral effects 
can we kind of look for on their money management skills? We have to be realistic here. They're going to use them. And, and I don't think that they're all bad. I don't, you know, it's, it's very convenient. Just like you talked about if somebody's babysitting for your kids, mm-hmm. it's a whole lot easier just to use an app to, to pay them if they have it. Um, and I, I think teaching them to use it responsibly is what's important with, with any of, of our technology that we have these days. I mean, that's, that's the whole premise around your, your podcast in general, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we're trying to teach them how to use these things that should help our lives. And they, and in most cases they, they do how to use them responsibly. And so one of the things that I would, would just say is I would have some sort of a method that you meet with your, with your teen about, Hey, let's go through the transactions that you've had through these apps. And let's make sure that these have all been categorized properly and that we're keeping up with the budget. Because when they're from 13 to, you know, and we'll use your kids for an example. When they're 13 and they got their account, it was probably a lot easier for them to keep up with their budgeting until when they turn 18 and they have this other method that it's just easy come, easy go. Yeah. So I think, I think just being very proactive and diligent with them on, Hey, we need to sit down and, and maybe it's a weekly thing. Let's go through the transactions on that, on that app and, and make sure that you're documenting. You know, I, I always talk about the old timey word was balancing your checkbook. <laughs> um, you know, most yeah. teens nowadays don't know what a checkbook is. And so that you putting it into your ledger somewhere, I think is, is important. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and then just a, a note from my personal experience, I do know that like for Venmo, for example, if you were to create an account and allow your child to use it for things that maybe you're discussing in advance, it does allow you to have two people signed into the app from different phones at the same time. So mm. I have been able to see um, one of my daughter's accounts at the same time, at, you know, as she sees it. So that is possible if... That's great. Yeah. yeah. So it is good to know that if you were going to maybe allow it under 18 because there just seems to be a lot of need for it. And again, every child's different in the activities that they're in. Um, that is a, it is a possibility. And that's what I would definitely recommend is having access mm-hmm. to their account as well while they're under 18. For sure. So let's move on to this. They're 18. You know, they've got their cash apps. They're getting ready. You know, they've graduated high school. They're going on to college. Another big part of when we look at this financial world, you can't ignore it, is college loans. It's become an accepted part of the higher education process, really. And more than that, it's a huge burden to the young adults who's graduating from college and beginning their professional career having, you know, $100,000 or more, really, in debt looming over them. How can we as parents really to begin, begin to paint a picture of reasonable college costs while encouraging our kids' contribution to their own education? Yeah, this is a big one. This is, a, this is one I spend a lot of time obviously in my in my profession in my office helping people with and and the first thing I, I tell people let, let's just get the, the shock and awe out of the way if you look at what the average cost for college is at a four-year school in Texas is a public school it's it's exactly what you said it's twenty five thousand dollars per year and that includes tuition room board books and other costs so whether mm-hmm. it's gas and things like that. 
And then if if you're looking at a private school, you know, you want little little Johnny or Susie to, to have a good Christian education, it's forty five thousand dollars a year. So real quick math, you know, even if you're like me and you're not great at math, just sitting on the financial advisor, I'm I'm okay at math. Um but it's a hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean for the four years uh, of the college and you kind of just have to wrap your head around the ridiculousness of how how expensive it's gotten. Yeah. That's step one is, you know, it's kind of like when you're you're in a 12 step program, you got to admit the problem first. So there's the problem. It's, it's we're looking at $100,000 over the four years. So first suggestion, I think about suggesting the value of going to a two year school first, mm-hmm. then graduating from the university of your dreams. And I always tell people when people see where your diploma came from or what degree you got, they see where you graduated from. They don't see where you went to all four years. Yep. And when you compare the difference in the cost, so the average cost for a two-year school is only $16,000. So over those first two years, you save almost $20,000. And by doing that, then you, you've set yourself up, and you can even save more than that by having them stay at home, you know, not living in a dorm, not going away for the first couple of years. You know, there's, there's a bunch of different ways you can, you can do that. Um, so that's number one. And the second one is as early as you can, as you can start saving for college. And this, this is more on the, the parent side first. There are tax efficient ways to save for college. And, and the one that I use most is the 529 plan. And the reason I like them is, and again, not for everybody, they are not, you know, they're not FDIC insured and not guaranteed and things like that. But the things that I like about them are anybody can contribute on behalf of you, of the team with after-tax dollars, then they grow tax-free. And if used for approved education costs, they can be taken out tax-free. Hmm. And then if one of the teams doesn't use theirs and, you know, either they got scholarship money or just didn't have to use it all, another member of their immediate family can use the 529 plan for their education. So I've seen kids that don't use it, the parents then say, you know what, I've always wanted to get a master's degree. And they use the remaining part of their 529 plan to go pay for a master's degree. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So there, there's ways to do that. And then, you know, when you're looking at how do, how do the kids start helping to contribute, you know, I think the, the first and foremost is back to what we talked about from the very beginning is these kids having a job. I think they should be required to have a job when they're in college. Um, that should be used to pay for cost of living stuff, rent, food, gas, set whatever they can, book, um, so that, you know, they have some skin in the game, right. you know, where they're, they might take it a little more serious that way. And then for students, as they're preparing for going to college, there's ways for them to, to really, uh, contribute there as well. You know, and that's through obviously being the best student you can be, get good grades, earn more possibilities, earn scholarships, earn grants, earn whatever you can do, apply for as many as you possibly can and use some of the savings that they've been saving throughout their teen years to be applied to some of the costs of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I love that you started out with talking about the two-year school first because we apply that to our kids all the time. We say, you know, I know you really want to go to Texas A&M. First of all, it's really hard to get into. So it's hard to paint that picture of realisticness. 
And we, we say all the time, you know, really consider a community college because no one ever looks at where you went the first two years. They look at where you graduate from. So I think that's, that's, right. that's really something that we as parents can probably do a better job of is, is stop painting that picture of, of maybe reflecting in their glory of getting into that wonderful, great college. Because sometimes I think a lot of parents just want them to get in so that they can feel accomplished themselves. But then there's that huge financial part of it. And I really also agree that, you know, you value what you pay for. I'm sure, obviously, this is a big concept, you know, that you use in financial advising. But if the kids don't have any skin in the game, for sure, they're, they could totally blow off class and go party. Because why? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not out anything. Mom and dad, oh, That's they're right. fine. <laughs> So mm-hmm. uh, I think that is a, definitely a good part of painting that realistic picture for our kids when they start high school is, number one, you don't have to go to that big, giant college. And two, you're going to have to put some skin in the game. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And one of the things that well, there's, a, there's a website that I send people to all the time. It's called collegeforalltexans.com. And basically, it shows you the cost of every school in Texas, uh, not necessarily the private, but but all the public universities and the two years. And so it's a good way for parents to have that conversation is, look, you know, we'll use your Texas A&M as an example. Compare the cost of Texas A&M to Berlin College that's right down the street mm-hmm. in College Station and compare the difference, not only just the cost, but because like you said, it's hard to get in your first year. It's a whole lot easier to get in if you get good grades at Berlin. Right. You know, if you, or you go to whatever community college, it's a lot easier to transfer in than it is to get into the freshman. So, Chris, do you know for our listeners outside of Texas, there's probably a website similar for other states as well where they list these costs, I'm assuming? There definitely there, there are. I don't know what they are, but the, the way I found the collegeforalltexans.com was just Googling cost of, cost of college in Texas. Yeah. So, Google is your friend. Right. <laughs> so you use it and, and look for cost of college in whatever state they're in. And you, there's probably something very similar. Awesome. All right. Well, if we have time, Chris, I'd love to just kind of see if you have any like insight on this, right? Young adults are youngest millennials, the earliest of Gen Z who are graduating from college and starting their professional careers. Do you do you see them and see any like identifiable pitfalls that they're making that we as parents of teenagers can kind of look at and learn from to sort of attempt to reset or reverse before our own kids are in that position? Yes. So there, there really are, are two major pitfalls um, and they, and they kind of have long-term effects for our kids as they grow up and they really get out on their own and and we kind of touched on it a little bit when we were talking about how easy it is for the, the money to get pulled out. First one is overdrawn account. And when I say that, I mean the habit of getting it, of getting overdrawn. Mm. Because there's a number of reasons. One, you're having to pay overdraft fees. So it's costing them money. Could hurt the credit scores, et cetera. And then a less, less obvious, but more damaging is learning that habit of living beyond our means. Yes. So a lot of that generation and, and our generation did it too. I'm not pointing fingers at any generation. You see the house that your parents grew up in when you graduated from high school and you think when I graduate from college, that's the first house I want to live in. I want to live in that size house that, you know, I want to have the big yard and all that kind of stuff. And they don't necessarily get 
prepared for, I've got to earn more money to get to that, to the point where my parents were. So living beyond their means, not managing their money well. And then, then maybe my biggest and the scariest one is debt. Mm-hmm. Debt in general, but specifically credit card debt, because credit card companies have always targeted teens and college kids because they know they can get them hooked to credit cards, get them paying that interest for a long, long time. So that one's a pretty obvious one, the, the credit card company. But I think teaching them that any debt, if at all possible, you should avoid it. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that includes auto loans. Learn how to pay cash for a car. Learn how to save to get the car that you can afford and not not the payments that you can afford. Yeah, that's some brave parenting right there. <laughs> we live that out and it's hard. It's challenging. It's um, hard. But but for sure, it really is. It's so important for our kids to see we can't just tell them, oh, this is what you should do. We have to live it. You know, we have to not live beyond our own means as adults raising children and teens as far as it goes in debt. I mean, I think they're going to know if we get, you know, brand new cars all the time and they know our jobs. Maybe we're not right. paying for cash for those cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been so fantastic. I love everything. It, I kind of just, you know, I was taking notes even myself just because I think it's so great that all of us as parents can really apply to our lives raising adolescents and teenagers right now. I'm glad, glad to be here, glad to help. Hopefully you learned something. Yes, from, absolutely. From my, yeah. From all my musings. <laughs> yeah. Well, Chris, thank you. We appreciate your willingness to share your insight and wisdom on the show. It has helped me and I am sure it will help others as well. You can find out about Chris and his financial advising practice. There'll be his information and contact info there in the show notes, and you can feel free to contact him for a free consultation on financial planning. He doesn't do debt consolidation, but if you're looking for financial planning, this is his area of specialty. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you have a question about what we've talked about today, or like for Chris, look in the show notes, or you can email us at podcast at braveparenting.net. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends so they too can be encouraged and equipped as a brave parent. Thank you for listening to the Brave Parenting Podcast, where we believe every child deserves a brave parent willing to set a new standard. Until next week, go and be brave.